turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. You cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. That's why I believe if we are fortunate enough to win back the House and or the Senate, that's when civility can start again. That's Hillary Clinton last night on CNN with Christiane Amanpour. And it begs the question, so wait a minute. So civility is only for when we win. Is that the way it's really supposed to be? I mean, when we lose, are we supposed to become angry, militant, like consumed with defeating the other group? Is that the way? I mean, that's the way we're supposed to be. If that's the prescription for American life, then first of all, we're currently fulfilling it. But second of all, it's a recipe for disaster. I've invited Drew Dick back on the program. Drew is an author and an editor. His latest book is Yawning at Tigers. You can't tame God, so stop trying. So what do you think, Drew? Civility only for when we win? (laughs) Wow, that's a good question. And yeah, I saw that clip too. I think a lot of people did. Um, It kind of made the rounds on social media. And if, if civility is for only when you're on top, I don't think we're talking about civility because it's easy to be civil when you're on top, right? If you're winning, right, of course. <laughs> it's if the challenge comes uh, when you're when you're in a position where you're not winning. Um, that's when civility is tested. And so, yeah, it's it's discouraging for me to see this. You may have seen this as well. Eric Holder, former uh, Attorney General, uh, had a similar clip. Yeah, you know what? Actually, about, hold hold on to it. Yeah. We have, we, Mike has that clip too. So. Oh. Michael pulled awesome. up. I won't spoil it. They I won't have, spoil it, but yeah. Wait, it's hold, wait, hold on, Drew. A hold bit on. of a trend. All right, hit it, Mike. They have used the power that they have gotten for all the wrong things. They want to keep themselves in power. They want to cater to the special interests. It is time for us as Democrats to be as tough as they are, to be as dedicated as they are, to be as committed as they are. Michelle always says, Michelle Obama, I love her, you know, she and my wife like really tight, um, which always scares me and Barack. But Michelle always says that, you know, when they go low, we go high. No, no. When they go low, we kick That's what this new Democratic Party is about. Good grief. If that's what the new Democratic Party is about, I mean, we're screwed. All right, Drew. So that's Eric Holder. Um, And so I'm still not sure exactly what the source was on that. I saw it, you know, kind of Mike said it came out last night online. I didn't see it until today. But again, this is very Hmm. similar to to Hillary's outlook. Yeah, right. And it is worrying because. And it's shocking to me, frankly, when you have, uh, I mean, you expect that maybe for, from some fringe people, but when you talk about major leaders in our country um, calling uh, blatantly for incivility and even employing, uh, I know he's not speaking literally, but talking about kicking, you know, when they go low, we kick them. 
um, that that's the kind of stuff that can result in some scary behavior as well. So it is disconcerting to see. Right. So you're right. Scary behavior is one of the possible um, end products. The other thing is just bad attitude, just just bad yeah. language, just ugly behavior in public. And that's where I feel like we are. I mean, none of, none of these things, either one of these two clips don't surprise me because this is indicative of how our public attitude is evolving. I think it's, I think it's incredibly sad. Yeah, you're right. And I, listen, I don't want to just say this is a problem on the left either. Oh, for sure. We've seen some worrying behavior on the right as well. But just when, yeah, it, and you can hear it, especially in the Clinton clip, there's sort of a subtle, and I don't know if she means this, but there's a subtle dehumanization that occurs whenever you want to dispense of civility. Because you're basically saying, listen, the other side is irrational. They are immoral. They're animals. You know, you, the only language they understand is fighting and strength. Um, and so that, that is really worrying because, you know, the, the democratic process is built upon the, the belief that we can come together uh, without violence and persuade each other in rational dialogue and debate and voting. I mean, these are the, the kind of, that's the bedrock of a democratic civilization. And so when I hear people just even verbally chipping away at that, um, it, yeah. it's having me. Yeah, it it does. Absolutely. I agree. Now, you were right to point out that this is not just a, pro- a problem with the uh, with the Democratic Party, because you can think back to the presidential election, uh, the whole campaign before 2016. Uh, President Trump really brought the uh, national conversation to a screeching halt multiple times. Uh, I mean, I think back to, you know, calling Marco Rubio, little Marco. You know, I, I think back to him talking about Ted Cruz. I don't know how it was right before the uh, the Pennsylvania primary when he came out and said that Ted Cruz's dad was actually involved in the JFK assassination. Now, we look back at that and we kind of laugh and shake our heads. But that's a, that's a horrible thing to say. And even even stranger, even stranger than that is the fact that within, you know, 60 days or so, Ted Cruz was stumping for Donald Trump. I mean, I'm just not sure how that happens in America. Yeah, and whether it's intended or not, those kinds of uh, personal ad hominem attacks uh, feed into this kind of polarization and uh, the the tendency to just vilify the other side and say, we can't debate anymore, we just have to, to push and might makes right. And so, yeah, that that is definitely part of it. Absolutely. So what does it mean to us when we um, I mean, hopefully, if we're open minded enough, we can see that our side is troubled by this, whatever our side is, whether you're listening or you're, you're a Democrat or you're listening and you're Republican or you're whatever your perspective is on it, that the problem afflicts the other party, but the problem also afflicts our party, which probably means the problem is in us, right? This isn't this isn't an attitudinal problem that just afflicts politics. I think that's the that's the temptation is to think that okay, well, politics is so ugly, I'm just going to withdraw from it completely. But the reason politics is ugly is the people are, are ugly, and so I guess I'm wondering. I mean, I, I'm not asking you to be like the societal philosopher, Drew, but I do think it's incumbent upon all of us to take a step back and say, how do we get to this place? How did politics? get to be this ugly? How are we in this space? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And and often you can't do a whole lot, at least initially, about how the other side behaves. But you're right, we can uh, be introspective and examine our hearts, our behavior, our language, 
and see how it's feeding into this. Because, I mean, listen, I don't want to get too, you know, uh, legalistic or anything, but as Christians, we really don't have the option of just coming out swinging against our enemies, right? Right, we, that, right. That, we, was nev- that was never uh, part of the mandate. No, it really isn't. And, of course, you stand your ground on certain topics and you and, and being persuasive, and that that's all very biblical. Um, but we're called to love our enemies, uh, pray for people uh, with whom we disagree, even strongly. And you have beautiful examples of this happening all throughout Church history, and even though it's overplayed, that phrase, love the, the sinner, hate the sin, right? We, as Christians, we have this whole framework and um, background for being able to separate issues from people and loving people even as we disagree with them. Uh, so that's very important that we examine ourselves. And here's another thing, too. Sometimes, unfortunately, I think we're more shaped by cable news than we are by Scripture, right? Oh, for sure, um, yep. And that's part of the problem, too, because those kinds of um, outlets uh, often don't feed our best instincts, and we can fall prey to that if we're not careful. Yeah. I, you know, I don't mean to come down hard with the Bible passages, but I think it's time, Drew. I mean, I think we need to recognize that this kind of stuff we're talking about, you know, you see Hillary on there, and maybe if you're a Republican, you look at her and you think, I always hated her. I mean, look at her. She's just she's so distasteful, and she all she wants to do is go after Republicans, and that's horrible. But at the same time, you can can be a Democrat and you can have whatever your negative feelings are about Donald Trump or about Chuck Grassley or whoever it is that you don't like. And I I think it's important that we all hear this. This is what Jesus said. This is in Luke 6. This is hard to hear, but this is the real thing. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, don't stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Because if you love those who love you, what credit is that? I mean, even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Because even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then... If you do that, your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and he is kind to the wicked. So be merciful just as your father is merciful. Man, that's tough Amen. stuff, Drew. That is tough stuff. <laughs> it is tough. And even especially in our cultural moment, that's incredibly countercultural because that's often the last message that we have the appetite for. And I love how that section ends, because Jesus says, okay, why are you doing this? Why do you have to be nice to the people that you despise or that are your enemies? Because God's nice to you, and he's nice to everyone, and he blesses people in spite of their their sin. So, yeah, a desperately needed message for our time. Yeah. When we, um, I don't, I shouldn't say we, when I get online, it's like I forget, I forget these maxims exist. Right. I I forget that Jesus said, love your enemies. And I can come up with all sorts of, you know, snarky things. Fortunately, I don't tweet them because I've learned some measure of self-restraint. But just my initial inclination is always to go after whoever I consider the enemy is. And so by reading this, I'm not trying to bring down the ethical hammer on anyone. I'm just trying to 
align myself with with the way that we're supposed to act. We're not supposed to, when someone goes low, we're not supposed to hit them low. We're just not, we are not even permitted as Christians to do that. Right. And I think Jesus' words have an amazing practical aspect, too, because as someone has pointed out, this isn't original to me, but someone said, you know, it's very hard to hate someone that you're praying for, right? If you actually obey those commands, it will naturally soften your language, make you try to understand the other side rather than just fight them. And listen, I'm not downplaying the importance of standing up for truth or waffling on your convictions, especially if they're biblical, right? Um, there, There is a way to engage people respectfully, uh, but firmly as well. I'm not talking about that, but when you come out, and you know when you're doing this, I think, most people do, and you're just kind of swinging and trying to score rhetorical points and taking pot shots and making fun of people, those kinds of tactics. You're right, there's no place for that in a, in a biblical Christian ethic. But it's all over Twitter, Drew. It still sucks me in. <laughs> Man, it, it, me too. <laughs> I, I feel it, absolutely. And, and sometimes I'm not as... Uh, controlled as you, and I will uh, tweet something or put something on Facebook that later I go, eh, maybe I shouldn't have said that or not said it that way. So I should probably yeah. pull that tweet down, has been thought by about 10 million people, which is why we should be a lot more careful on social media. We're talking about difficulties and how we react to each other. Is civility just for the other team? It's Drew Dick. You cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. That's why I believe if we are fortunate enough to win back the House and or the Senate, that's when civility can start again. Good grief. That's Hillary Clinton last night on CNN with Christiane Amanpour. My guest is Drew Dick. We're talking about civility and wondering if it's just for when we win. Drew Dick is with us again, and he's an author and an editor. And uh, his latest book is Yawning at Tigers, You Can't Tame God, So Stop Trying. Now, in in the earlier segment, Drew, I I made sure to mention that I don't believe this is a problem that's just afflicting the Democratic Party. I was thinking, (laughs) I mean, it doesn't take much to think back to the Republican Party. candidate or the Republican um, nomination for president. I mean, when Trump was going after, you know, uh, I mentioned Ted Cruz before I mentioned Marco Rubio. I remember when he called Carly Fiorini he said something like she looked like a horse. I mean, it's just like the, the, the degradation of, of political speech. I mean, it's not new. It just seems like over the last two or three years, it's just gone to new lows. But here's the, here's the question I have for you. Is it so easy to point the finger at the other party? And you brought up on Twitter and you're a really good follow on Twitter, Drew. I really enjoy it. You brought up something about being a, being a prophet. So how did, how did you start thinking about what a modern-day prophet would look like or how they would act? Yeah, and I think these issues are related. So when I was talking, at least in the context that I was using on Twitter, about a, prof, a prophet or a prophetic voice, I wasn't just thinking of someone who like foretells the future. I was thinking more of, uh, of the prophet in the sense of someone who calls out injustice or stands up for truth. Uh, on behalf of God. And I just noted that often there are people online, especially, who build a big audience and they have a lot of followers and friends and they get a lot of traffic to their blogs or whatever it is, and they're, they're the kind of people that are known for being combative and standing up for truth, but often they fail to ever call out anyone in their own ideological, theological, or political tribe. Okay, so they're always lobbing grenades at the other side. 
And the reason I think that that works often for them is that it, it makes them more popular in their tribe, right? It strengthens their position among the people that follow them. But if they ever kind of turn their, their lens at people in their own tribe, then it's a little more costly. But when we look in Scripture, if we look at Jeremiah or uh, Ezekiel, any of the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, they had a lot of harsh words for, yes, the outside kingdoms that mm-hmm. were um, against Israel, but they critiqued Israel as well. In fact, that's what got them in trouble. That's, of course, what got Jesus crucified. I mean, he was a prophet as well, and he had very harsh words for people, um, for the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, and so if, if you want to be a true prophet, speak truth. That's great. But make sure that you're also speaking the truth that God has for your the people that are closest to you, the people that are in your uh, uh, tribe, right. so to speak. Right, and I feel like if we are following God, and we are in the Scriptures, we're in prayer, we're studying the life of Christ, I believe that we will ultimately find fault all over the place. with our, and, and I don't mean find fault like we're pointing the finger like it's outside of us. I'm saying that we're indicting ourselves, but we're also indicting our own people because we're recognizing that no people group, whether it's a political party or it's a denomination or it's a gender or it's a socioeconomic group, whatever, none of, none of our organizations are perfect. And it is so easy, you know. I've, over the years, Drew, I've kept this list. I have it. I have it uh, tacked up in my office, and I call it cycles of outrage. And so, mm-hmm. if you look back through the years, these are the people that we as a society have pointed our fingers at and said the evil is out there. You know, those are the people. So whether mm-hmm. you can go back to O.J. Simpson, you can go to Donald Trump, you can go to Brett Kavanaugh, you can go to whoever it is, and you can say, okay, we had gigantic social upheavals because we pointed at that person and said that person's evil because I think it makes us feel better about us. If we can point at the evil out there, we can say how much we hate the president and how you know horrible he is and how he degrades public speech and everything, blah, 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 blah. If we just keep on harping on him, 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 then we don't have to focus on us. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, it's much more threatening to look inside, isn't it? Um, inside your group, inside your own heart. <laughs> and when you do that and you realize that, yes, there are sinful tendencies and evil within us, then I think it, it changes the way we speak to people with whom we disagree, right? We're going to have a little more grace for them. We're going to soften our rhetoric when we talk to them. Uh, and so that goes a long way, absolutely. You know, it's funny, I, I grew up in the, in the church and had a relatively good experience, um, but it was definitely that kind of subculture of evangelicalism in the 80s and 90s. And I remember the, the, the language was always the fear was that the godless, secular people were going to come and they're going to steal our Bibles and freedom and stuff. And then I remember going to a very left-leaning secular university um, and found out that the way that secular liberal people talked about Christians, the vocabulary was exactly the same. Hmm. These Christians were going to take over the government and they were going to come and steal our freedoms and make us all you know, adhere to certain rules. And it just was an eye-opening experience. Um, and I'm not saying, like, you know, all these fears are totally irrational, um, but if sometimes we can talk to each other rather than past each other right. or just about each other, it's amazing 
uh, how much good that can do. Yeah, yeah. On yesterday's show, Drew, I read um, uh, Paul, Kr- Paul Krugman editorial from yesterday's New York Times. And, you know, he's a, left oh, lean- yeah. he's a left-leaning guy. And so he was talking about the Kavanaugh hearings. And I read the first two paragraphs. And, I, you know, as I was reading what he was writing and his perspective, I thought to myself, and I said this on the air yesterday, my perspective is the exact opposite in every way. Right. Like we feel the same way and we think the same thing, but we're looking at opposite sides. So what does that mm. tell you? I mean, I don't know what the answer is, except that we need Paul Krugman and me. We need an an a fair arbiter between us. We need mm. we need a person who is completely truthful and grace-filled that both Paul Krugman and I can look at. Because if we're going to follow his perspective or we're going to follow my perspective, clearly we're going to be alienating 50% of America. Right. Yeah, and this is where the Church, I really believe, has a unique opportunity to lead the way. Because like I was saying, we have we have the commandments in scripture. Right. We have that people, we have that we, we have that fair arbiter, right? He's already shown exactly. himself. Right. And actually, at least as far as lip service, a lot of people on both the right and the left pay lip service to having Jesus on their side, or at least having a modicum of respect for who Jesus was. And so um, his words can be powerful, I think, uh, for for people on both sides. Uh, but it is scary, and, and the first thing I think we need to restore just a basic baseline of civility, because, and this is why, you know, I'm sad when I hear this, but it's not just, oh, well... The political rhetoric has gone downhill. It's it's scarier than that because, you know, when you look back at history in countries that had civil wars that or persecuted a, a certain group of people, it's the language that goes first, right? When yep, you start, right. when you dispense with civility and you just start fighting and you start demonizing a group of people or the other side, often what comes is violence. And I don't want to sound, you know, hyperbolic here, but um, I, I do fear, and we're already seeing little bits of that. I mean, I live in Portland here, and uh, Antifa has taken over the downtown, at least portions of it, uh, cursing at people, yelling at people, even getting violent at times. Um, this this can descend rather quickly, and I think we get um, a little safe in thinking, well, we've had peace for so long, and there hasn't been any violence. That can change. Mm-hmm. So this is a very important issue, and we need to pay special attention to the language that we're using when we speak about and to our political enemies. I'm glad you brought up Antifa. I mean, you're seeing this, you know, unfold on your streets right in your hometown. Uh, and and right. and and the trick is, as you said, we tend to think it's just language, but language is just the first thing. If we don't police our language, then we start to see the de-evolution of everything. Exactly. And that's a that's a scary prospect. Um so yeah, it's the the thing to do is to really nip it in the bud and have a conversation uh, before things get out of control. And right now, I do think it is, the, you know, especially the extreme left that is uh, being more vocal about being um, uncivil. Uh, and that's probably because, uh, politically speaking, they're on the, the side that's not in power right now. So that's making them especially shrill. Uh, but like we've discussed, it's an issue on both sides. Mm-hmm. And, and again, Christians can lead the way by representing yes. a different sort of tone. We have to. That is our mission here, is we're supposed to look like and talk like and speak like and tweet like people who have met God. So let us act uh, in that way. Drew Dick has been with us. Drew is the author of Yawning at Tigers, You Can't Tame God, So Stop Trying. Drew, thank you so much again. 
Thank you. Always love it. Always good. Always fun to talk. More information about Drew, find us on our Facebook page and online, our website, johnandkathyshow.com. 